Well, as we get started, we are back in uh, Judges this morning. Um, we're going to be here. We'll take a couple breaks with some things coming up in the, in the future, and we'll be working our way, kind of finishing up uh, the book of Judges probably in the late end of May, 1st of June. But I'd love for you to just think through this Samson story. As we have been talking through Samson uh, for the last few weeks, the chapter 13, chapter 14, as we've been introduced into those. But here's kind of, here's how I think about Samson. I mean, does that look familiar to you? Rated, yeah, TVMA. I mean, it is a, it is a train wreck. His life is a train wreck, but you can see all those words and, and know that it's, it's just like those series that we get into. It'd be on the, probably the top 10 streaming things, you know, the most binge-worthy it's one of those things that you're watching and you feel so guilty and ashamed that you shouldn't watch it. You're not going to tell anybody. At the end of it, you're like, oh my gosh, next episode. <laughs> Let's watch it again. I mean, really, that's the way it is. That's the way his life has been. I mean, it's like the commercial with the raccoon. Oh, this garbage is so awful. You got to try it. Come on, get some of this trash. I mean, that is the way that this story plays out. And the truth is, it's, um, it is a cycle of revenge we're going to see this morning. Now, just back up a little bit. In chapter 13, Samson was born and was chosen by God and was set apart to be a judge and to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. And he is one of the last judges that will actually be named as we're in the theme of this downward momentum, this downward cycle of the judges as things just get worse and worse and worse. But I'm going to read at the end of chapter 14, it says this in the very end. It says, burning with anger, he went up to his father's house and Samson's wife was given to a friend who had attended him at his wedding. That's where we ended. That's where Ken ended last time. Because of the whole riddle and his wife found out, he's angry. He leaves the wedding reception They never consummate the marriage. He's disgusted. He's mad. He leaves. He pouts. He goes home. And that's where we pick up in chapter 15. So he's angry. And he's a big old bully and a big, you know, meathead. And he's he's at home with his dad in his father's house, it says, while his wife has been given away to probably one of those 30 guys that was an attendance in his wedding. And so this is where we start the cycle of revenge in chapter 15. So read with me this first part. It says, later on at the time of the wheat harvest, that'll be important in a minute, Samson took a young goat and went to visit his wife. He said, I'm going to my wife's room. But the father said, no, you're not going in there. And he said, I thought you hated her. You were so thoroughly hated her. He said that I gave her to one of your friends, one of those 30 guys that we saw in last chapter. And then he says, isn't her younger sister more attractive? Here, take her instead. Now, there's a lot of things going on here. And we don't know how long uh, a time has, has transpired. Week, month, we, we don't know. But it is definitely a significant amount of time since the, re- the wedding reception, no honeymoon. He's gone and now he goes back. And guys, of course, you know, here's what he's doing. Hey, let's go. You know, I need to go make up with her. I mean, he hadn't even hardly been married for, you know, just a quick minute. And he's going, well, I need to make up. So I'm going to grab this young goat. We'll go celebrate. And I'll go 
you know, consummate the marriage and continue to live life. As if nothing's happened. As if he can just leave and go and pout and do all those things and then show up and go, okay, you know, I came and got you. Now I'm going to come and get you again. And you're going to be my bride. Now, as we're looking at this and we're thinking through this, look at what the father does. He's doing actually the same thing that Samson's doing. He realizes, man, I've really messed up. Gosh, I thought you hated her. I gave her away to somebody else. And now here you are showing up, wanting your wife back. So what does he do? Hey, here's her sister. She's more attractive anyway. You know, he knows Samson. He's seen Samson's history, his impulsive nature. So he thinks, hey, if I just throw something else out there, then maybe he'll take her and go and everything will be fine. So you see they're doing the same thing. It's a little different, but they both have just thrown out the idea of what their obligation is. And now they're both trying to make up for it. Here, I'll bring a young goat. We'll celebrate. Everything will be fine. The father's going, hey, I messed up. Here, take this girl instead. And now they're both reacting from their poor choices. And this is going to begin really what happened in last chapter, but it's going to continue this cycle. Here's what Samson says. He said to them, this time I have a right. These will come up in a little bit later, the, these different little sayings that Samson has. This time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. I will really harm them. Interesting. He's probably looking back going, you know, the thing I did where I went and killed the 30 men and gave the last chapter, that probably wasn't right. Because now he's going, now I have the right because you gave my wife away. And look what he does. So he went out and he caught 300 foxes and tied them tail to tail in pairs. He then fastened a torch to every pair of tails, lit the torches, let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. He burned up the shocks, the standing grain together with the vineyards and the olive groves. Now he's just reacting to what's going on here. He has just seen what's going on. He's burning with anger. He's frustrated. Oh, you did this. Now here is what I'm going to do. And he's trying to justify what's happening. Now it is a, it's a crazy scene, right? I mean, you got a guy gathering up Probably, a lot of the commentators said they probably were jackals because jackals run in packs. I don't know that makes it any better. I mean, you know, foxes are kind of alone. I mean, there's still 300 jackals, foxes that he catches. Did he have help? It doesn't say that. We don't know. But, you know, Samson had some, some strength. He had some things going on, even when the Lord was not giving him strength. Because we saw in the last chapter where the lion rushes toward him and the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he had this beyond supernatural ability. But obviously something's still kind of stirring here with Samson as he goes out and does this pretty crazy thing with these animals where he ties them tail to tail, lights to kind of clever, crazy. And then he turns them loose into the fields and they burn up everything. And this was everything that they had. The grain, the vineyards, the olive groves. I mean, this is how they make money. This is how they provide for themselves. This is everything. He totally destroys it. So we're also going to see this amping up from personal things to it's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger as we move along. There's a verse in Exodus 
that actually says this, 22.6. And we'll read two of these where you see that Samson has no understanding or no regard for the way the Lord has things set up. It says this, if a fire breaks out and spreads to thorn bushes so that stacked grain or standing grain or the whole field is consumed, the one who started the fire must surely pay restitution. Well, Samson ain't doing that. He ain't paying restitution. He's going to burn it down and continue to burn it down and continue to burn it down. So the cycle continues. And hopefully you see these headings and it's as shocking as it really is. So what do the Philistines do? They say, who did this? And they were told Samson, the Timnite's son-in-law, because his wife was given to a friend. Now, part of this, you can kind of go, hey, well, yeah, his wife was given away. He's angry. You know, he's going to burn it down. What do the Philistines do? They go and they burn her and her father to death. And this is exactly the thing in chapter 14 she was trying to get away from. That's why... When they coached, they said, you need to figure out the answer to this riddle or we're going to burn you alive. And so that's what started this whole thing. And the very thing that she's trying to stay away from now happens because of this cycle of revenge that's going to continue and continue. And it's never really going to stop. And as I said earlier, we're going to see this episode really amp up and go from personal, bigger and bigger, and eventually nation against nation. So, what does Samson do? You think he's going to be done and go home and say, okay. No, read with me. It says, Samson said to them, since you've acted like this, remember these statements, since you've acted like this, I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. I mean, that's, that's the nature of revenge, isn't it? You can't just have a little bit of retaliation because then they're going to retaliate and then you're going to retaliate. And then that, I mean, that's just the nature of revenge itself. And it says he attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. Then he went down and he stayed in the cave in the rock of Edom. Now, one of the verses says he attacked them hip and thigh. Not sure if it was this idea of of maiming them so that they couldn't work, so that they couldn't be in battle. But nevertheless, he maimed some. He slaughtered many more. It doesn't say how many. But obviously, this is a a huge blow to the Philistines. And now this thing is just going to get worse and worse and worse as we continue. Deuteronomy 32, 35 says this, Vengeance is mine. I will repay. In due time, their foot will slip, for their day of disaster is near, and their doom is coming quickly. That's the Lord speaking. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. This is not even the plan that God had for him. This is not why he was called to get into this personal, retaliatory episode of just back and forth with the Philistines. Now, Is this what God called him to do? Big picture, yes. He called him to be a judge over the Israelites and to deliver them from the Philistines. So is God's plan playing out? Yes, but this is not the manner in which God had intended for this to happen. 
And obviously, Samson is acting in his own selfishness, his own sin, his own pride, his own anger, his own impulsive nature. And we continue to the point to where you have a nation that is going to compromise. Read with me. It says, The Philistines went up and camped in Judah, spreading out near Lehi. The men of Judah asked, Why have you come to fight us? We have come to take Samson prisoner, they answered, to do to him as he did to us. Same language over and over we'll see in this chapter. We're going to do to him what he did to us. Well, since you acted like this, I'll do this. Well, we did that, so I'm going to do this. I mean, it's just, that is the nature of revenge. And look what it says. Then 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Edom and said to Samson, Don't you realize the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? Now remember what's going on here. These are the people. Judah is the tribe. Judges chapter 1 that I taught on a long time ago when we first started this book. says this, After the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, Who will be the first to go up and fight for us against the Canaanites? The Lord answered, Judah is to go. I have given the land into their hands. So this is the tribe that was chosen to be the leader among the 12 tribes to deliver the Israelites from the Canaanites. And look where we're at now. All of a sudden, we are now in a place to where the entire nation is going, oh, Samson, what what have you done to us? Because they're complacent. They're going, hey, this is, it's okay. Yeah, we've taken on some of their culture. Yeah, we, okay, we've gained some of their values. Yeah, and we do some of their traditions. And we do some of their crazy work. But it's okay. Just let it be. Why are you trying to rock the boat, Samson? Why are you doing to this? And now they're here and they're wanting to attack us. And it's interesting, even this language of where it says the Philistines went up, you know, in Judges 1, it says Judah went up. This idea of going up, being with the Lord versus going down in opposition to the Lord. And here's what he answered them. He said, I merely did to them what they did to me. So this continued, just narcissistic, selfish, it's all about me. Well, that's what they did to me. So I'm doing to them what they did to me. Total disregard for the reason he was set apart from birth that we saw in chapter 13. He was set apart for a reason by God. And at this point, he doesn't care anymore. But it is weird as we keep going. It's a little odd because God continues to use him and continues to work through him. And Samson said, swear to me that you won't kill me yourselves. Agreed, they answered. We will only tie you up and hand you over to them. I think it's really interesting, this word only. That's all we're going to, we're only, we're only going to tie you up and hand you over to our enemy. 3,000, mind you. 3,000, and we'll find out in a few verses that he slays 1,000. So they outnumber them three to one, yet they still are not fighting with Samson, who is their judge. But they are trying to turn him over just to keep things the way they are. Oh, come on, Samson. We're fine with all this pagan values. We're we're okay. Just leave it alone. 
So this truly is a really sad moment in the story of the Israelites where they've come to this place where they're saying, we're willing to keep things the way they are. As far as we have come down, as many things as we have thrown off and compromised from what God has set us apart to be, we are okay with the status quo to where they're at this point trying to give over who is the last name judge. If you go out and look at the list on the board out there, Samson's the last one. It just gets worse and worse until they don't name any of the judges. So this is really a crazy time in the life of the Israelites. But what is Samson? He doesn't care. He's just saying, hey, I merely did to them what they did to me. And I want to shift a little bit because I think this cycle that we see of revenge plays itself out both with Samson and I think relates to you and I really well as we kind of watch this thing play out. First two, a disregard for women and a rationalization of pride and anger. Gosh, don't you see that in this story? Where Samson just thinks, hey, I can just show back up. Things will be fine. I'll bring a young goat. Everything's good. Even though I did what I did, treated her the way I treated her. Wasn't even supposed to be with the Philistine in the beginning. And then the other father, hey, here's somebody who's better looking. Here, take her. I mean, guys, do you feel this? Thousands of years, women have been disregarded, devalued. And it's not just in the the sense of thinking about the sexual thing with pornography, that sort of thing. That is a tremendously huge problem. But beyond that, just in our workplace, in our relationships, in our families, how often are women devalued? And treat it as an object. Hey, I'm here for my wife. No, how about this one? No. Hey, let's just burn them alive. I mean, what in the world? So you see this sin. And I promise you, if you read the Gospels, if you look at how Jesus treated women, it is flipped upside down. And I don't just mean thousands of years ago in the early church and, and others. I'm talking about even right now, in little subtle ways in everyday life. But you look at how Jesus treated Mary and Martha, the woman who was caught in adultery, the woman who poured the perfume on his feet, the Samaritan woman that he had an encounter with. If you look at how Jesus treated women, and that was our example, that I don't think we would see stories like this that we can seem to somehow relate to better to go, man, that's still a problem in today's world. I mean, Ephesians says, give your life for your wife as Christ did the church. If that's what we did, then I don't think this would have been one of the things that I drew out of this chapter. And very quickly, where does that go? Into this rationalization of sin. Gosh, how often do we do that? How often do we try to rationalize everything? And the statement that he makes, I mean, is perfect. This time I have a right. Woo, how often do we say that? No, I've got, a, I've got a right to say this. I've got a right to think this. I've got a right to do this. I've got a right to look at this. We do that all the time, don't we? 
No, it's my right. Oh, they did this. I've got a right to do this. I mean, this is exactly the things that we still struggle with today. Well, if this is not convicting you, we'll continue. And some of you, I thought maybe the Netflix thing might have convicted you, and you might have said, hey, I'm, I'm done there. But that was the Holy Spirit. That wasn't me. But it continues. Disregard for life, impulsive violence, and destruction. I mean, you see the Philistines. Absolutely no regard for life. What are we going to do? Let's just go burn them all down. We're just going to burn them up. But the truth is we devalue people all the time, don't we? Yeah, we're not killing people. We're not burning people. But we devalue people all the time. And we are, we are not aware of other people and how they suffer. Usually because we're so inward focused. It's not that we don't care about people. It's not that we don't love people. But usually we're so focused on ourselves that we tend to just devalue everyone around us and just don't, aren't very concerned. We don't live out the Philippians. Look to others and their interests more than yourself. Humble yourselves. We don't do that. But we tend to devalue people. You know, impulsive violence destruction. I mean, he is, Samson's out of control. He has no self-control. He's doing every one of these things. Something happens, then he reacts. Something happens, he reacts. They react, he reacts. Well, they did this. Well, they acted like this. I'm going to do this. I mean, look at this statement. Since you've acted like this, I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. Well, that that doesn't stop it either because it just continues to happen. And we say those same things, don't we? Since you've acted like this, since you did that, well, I saw my kids do this or my wife said that, or my husband did this, or this guy at work did this, so I'm going to do this. I mean, that is exactly the way that we live our lives sometimes. When we're not in tune with the Spirit, when we're looking inward and we're so focused on the flesh. And we struggle with self-control. And we're not ripping people apart physically, hopefully. We're not doing that, but what do we do? We destroy people. Words getting in rooms, talking about people, social media. I mean, we rip people apart. We have little concern for people's reputations, who they really are, a lot of times. And we've all been guilty of that. We're impulsive. And there is a destruction that happens with us as well. The last thing, worldly values. Tribe of Judah was chosen. They were chosen for a reason. And now we see in this episode that they have come down so far that even though they outnumber the Philistines three to one, they go, oh, Samson, we're just going to turn you over because we're, we're okay. We're fine with what's going on. Let's just be complacent and let's just, okay, we're going to take on all of their values. We're not going to live the way God called us to live. Samson was chosen. He left his calling from the very beginning when he married the Philistine. We are chosen. We are set apart as believers. But we embrace the values of the world all the time. Instead of staying true to our biblical values. I mean, it's a, it's a creep. It creeps in. We've seen it through this entire book of Judges. It's a slow creep. But eventually we get to a place to where we just go, oh, it's just easier. We'll just, let's just do what the world says. 
Let's just be a part of the world. It's okay. Yeah, I know I'm compromising a little bit here or here, but it's, it's really going to be all right. It's just easier to do that. Because it is sometimes. It's easier to do that than to stand up and say, no, this is not right. No, this is wrong. But not just to do it for the sake of being right, but to say, you know what? No, this is what God has called us to. And it doesn't mean you don't love the people around you that have other values. No, you desperately love them. You don't judge them when they're not believers. But we are set apart. But I know it's a struggle. Samson said, I merely did to them what they did to me. That's why we live sometimes, isn't it? I just did to them what they did to me. What's the big deal? I just took on some of their values. So what? Everybody else takes them on. We all do that. So what's the big deal? You know, there's a quote I put unknown because it comes up with different people. But it says this, Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. One of the people was Kay Arthur. One of the persons that said this was Ravi Zacharias. Mm. That's scary, isn't it? And it's the truth. As we see this cycle of revenge, this cycle of sin, both in this story and in our world today, it will take you further, keep you longer, and I promise you, it will cost you everything if you don't begin to follow the Lord and live the life that you're called to live. But this story makes a turn. Because God is in this story. You know, I feel like I've gotten through the things and the parts of the story that are really hard to see and hard to grasp. But God is in control. And this is what is just mind-boggling. When I was started studying this week and looking at this, I'm going, why, why does God even use Samson? You know, he's not the guy that I learned about when I was a little kid. You know, it was like, oh, he pushes the pillars. Oh, and then he dies. Oh. It's like, what? He's the hero, right? I mean, I looked at my kid's little action Bible, and he's, you know, he's this fierce dude, and this story we'll get to in a second. But it's like, that's not who he is. I mean, he's this guy that is just acting out of his own desire, and I mean, it's just, it's crazy. But God still chooses to use him. Listen to this. It says, when he arrived in Lehi, the Philistines shouted as they approached him. So remember, he's been bound up. He's handing over. The Philistines shout. Just like the lion roared as he was coming for him. But the Lord's spirit empowered him. So now we finally see where God is going to infuse himself. The Lord's spirit empowered him. And the ropes around his arms were like flax dissolving in fire. And they melted away from his hands. And he happened to see a solid, a solid jawbone of a donkey. Now here's something interesting. I never thought about. If it's an old brittle jawbone, it's probably going to break, right? No, it's, it's a fresh carcass, which once again... Just like with the lion, he's disregarding his Nazarite vow. He's touching the carcass of an animal, but it's fresh, it's strong. He grabs it, he strikes down a thousand men. And he says, with the jawbone of a donkey, I've left them in heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I've struck down a thousand men. He's a little riddle. He's a cute, you know, he thinks he's got this cute little riddle thing going again. One of the other 
Folks, it reads like this. With the jawbone of an ass, I've left them mass upon mass. Literally, he is piling up bodies with this jawbone. Now, once again, man, when I was younger, I, this story was like, man, this is pretty sweet, right? I mean, dude picks up a jawbone and he's just going at it. But this is the first time that God is actually doing what God wanted to do. And this isn't just Samson acting alone. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Remember, he's there to deliver them from the Philistines. And he's there to free them from the oppression of what they've been doing. It says, when he finished speaking, he threw the jawbone down and named that place Ramat Lehi, which basically means jawbone hill or height of the jawbone. But the thing I want you to see, the deliverance that came was because the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. This is not something Samson did on his own accord, but this is God fulfilling his plan, his purposes through Samson. Which is mind-boggling as that is, to use this crazy guy like Samson. I think, well, Lord, maybe he'll use a crazy guy like me. Maybe he'll use people like you. Maybe he'll use those seniors that are walking out the door celebrating down the hall. Aren't we thankful that he uses people to meet and to fulfill his purposes? So he delivers them. And then he provides something for Samson. Samson, the big meathead, oh, I'm thirsty. So he cries out, Lord, I'm thirsty. Give me something. Yeah, he, I mean, just fought a thousand guys. I guess you might be thirsty. Um, he wasn't taking, taking breaks. You've given your servant this great victory. Now, hear this. That, that term, great victory, is the word for deliverance, of which he was, in chapter 13, if you go back and read, he was called and set apart to deliver. So he's doing what God wanted him to do right here. But he says, you've given your servant this great victory. So he is acknowledging God. A little bit. You know, this is one of those glimpses where you're like, okay, at least he's acknowledging God here. You've given your servant this great victory. But now must I die of thirst and fall into the hands of these Philistines? I don't know whose hands he's fallen into because they're dead. He just killed them all. Um, but he's thirsty. You know, oh, I need a drink, please, Lord. I'm going to die. But what, what does God do? In his goodness, in his grace, it says, so God opened up a rock at the basin, water flowed out from it. When he took a drink, his strength was restored. He was revived. For this reason, he named the spring Anhakor, and it remains there to this day. But this provision is just a display of God's grace. But look what he names it. Even at the end of this story, where we're seeing all of this take place, Samson acting out of his own Will, his own desire, his own lust, his own rage. What does he name it? Not the spring of the one who provides or the spring of the faithful. No, the spring of the one who cries out. He's still looking inward. Oh, the spring of the one who cries out. Like I'm the one who cried out. So I'm going to name it after me. I mean, God, this guy. It can't get any worse, but it does in chapter 16. Shane will cover that later. But we get to see this display of God's grace. That God uses a cat like this to fulfill his purposes and then still provides 
in this kind of way, which he does the same thing for us. This was a quote I used when I taught chapter 1, and I thought it still fit with Michelle Knight, who came in to introduce this to us. The book of Judges uses shock value, cold, hard examples of human depravity to showcase how only God is powerful enough to save us. You got the shock value for sure. And some crazy examples of this guy, Samson. But it's there so that you and I can look back and see this and go, but it's only through the power of God. It's only when the Spirit came upon him. It's only through the power of God that he provided him with the life-giving water that he did at the end. God in his grace involves imperfect people in his purposes. Gosh, and aren't we thankful that he does that? Aren't you thankful that he doesn't look at you and go, oh, you know what? No, not using them. Not going to use them. Aren't you thankful he looks at you and I and he says, yeah, you're not perfect. But I'm going to choose to use you anyway. You're going to be my vessel. You're going to share the gospel with people. You're going to love your family and your spouse in a way that turns them toward Jesus. You're going to treat women in a way that people go, man, that guy's different than the world. You're going to love people in a way that people go, I want to know what's going on in their life. Or you're going to screw up bad enough, but you're going to ask for forgiveness in a way that they go, man, this guy's a real human. He realizes and owns his own stuff in such a way that that's kind of attractive. I want to know why he does that. What does he believe that makes him actually own his own stuff and, and admit it? God uses us in spite of us. Boy, isn't that a great thing that he does that? Isn't it a great thing that we get to be a part of his grand story and his bigger picture? And I will say, if, if you're not connected with the Spirit, in tune with the Spirit, and you are living a life that looks way more like Samson, God may still use you. You may not get to enjoy it in this lifetime. You may not get to see the cool things that God will do in your life. But when you're responding to that grace, when you're leaning in to the forgiveness, to his love, and you're allowing him to use you, I promise you that you will enjoy that. And you will get to enjoy him for his glory and not for your own got some next steps in the bulletin. It says, take time this week and list three ways that you have compromised your faith. Pretty specific. Three, ten, one, twenty, I don't care. But think about ways that maybe you've compromised, maybe even little ways that you've gone, you know what, I've really taken on the values of the world right here. And that's not how God called me. And then I said, respond to God's grace by confessing these things and walking in obedience. Because here's the thing, just like Samson said, I have the right. We don't have the right to live in sin. But we do have the right to live in freedom through Jesus Christ because of what he did through his death and his resurrection.